Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Episode 90, the long-awaited. 90. Seldom have we hyped up a single episode. <laughs> I don't and know. I, to be honest, I don't know why we did, except that... Yo, why did we do that? Um, that seems like a profound mistake. Um, <laughs> I, I think we're just generally excited. Don't about we it. know better than that, Brian? <laughs> I've heard Nate give this particular conversation a, a few times, and I, every time, once or twice, every time it, uh, I don't know, it always makes you think. That's why I'm excited about it. Okay. Yeah. Today, episode 90 on SAS, we're talking about the nature of proof, but we are pivoting it a little bit into, into, um, uh, story too art definitely yeah how this as opposed to when i would give give it as a lecture or talk about this topic to new st andrew students it was always related to uh reasoning you know, yeah but non non-fiction you're writing an argument argumentation right, right. like how do you come into an argument as opposed to uh as a, as opposed to what we're talking about here which is stories yeah shouldn't we start with the character inadequacies of people who think that proof is only yeah, so Truth. so there's this really bad thing that happens among smart people, uh, where they start they start to journey for you know on the quest for certainty, and what they mean mm -hmm. by certainty is they they are looking for um, well they're looking for omniscience they're looking to be God they're looking to yeah. no longer be a, no longer be a creature, and so they are looking to know a thing beyond a shadow of a doubt or if you're going full descartes you're you're talking about the impossibility of the contrary it's not even there's you know it's not possible you know it in yeah. order to know it in order to say it's been proven uh it, it it must be this and it can be no other there's no other thing and what that does is it naturally limits your abilities to ever do that and so it pushes you into particular disciplines and away from things like art and storytelling and uh, and music, because you know, how do yeah. you ever know beyond a shadow of a doubt? How do you know to the impossibility of the contrary that yeah. this is good and true and beautiful or right. better than this other thing? Is it false? They yeah. ask. They ask about this piece of artwork. Yeah. Is this is this false? Is this um, better than this other one? And trying to get to knowledge around anything aesthetic is immediately off the table. And so you have a bunch of believers who become relativists uh, really rapidly as soon as they move out of engineering, they move out of STEM and they move into uh, the arts. Do you see them become relativists or do you see them just avoid the arts? I feel Both. like I've seen, yeah, two camps. Say, so the, there are people who avoid the arts because they, they don't want to get into that at all. And I would say this is one of the reasons why so many uh, schools, Christian schools and homeschoolers push their kids towards programming, engineering, things like science. that. Yeah, they, they push them into uh, you know, the hard sciences where there's clear answers and there's no dispute and they can know a thing and they can really know the thing. And they are very, very afraid of storytelling. And, and rightly, by the way, we can just say that there's reason to be afraid it's dangerous it's a powerful tool 
And you don't always know when, that's the whole point. You don't know when you're going off on the wrong way. If someone's telling a very good story. Yeah. And <laughs> no, and especially in scare quotes, like you yeah. don't know and you don't know the way Descartes talked about knowing. Yeah. You don't know uh, with mathematical certainty, you know, when you're, when you're engaging with the story, uh, you actually have to use a little thing called wisdom. You have to gain wisdom as opposed to Cartesian knowledge and Cartesian certainty so how do you gain wisdom how do you operate in the world that god made as opposed to the world that descartes wished was how do you get into um a place where you're comfortable talking about proving things i have proven a thing that is not euclid it's not euclidean geometry but you still say that it's been proven or that i know this i know mm -hmm. this to be true yeah um i uh, in arguing with a rationalist, I had one of my more charismatic moments uh, a long time ago, uh, 20 some years. This is the year, the year was 2000. Um, so 22 years ago, where he was arguing that knowledge only could happen by uh, reason. Reason was the, was the, you know, that was it, the only source of, uh, of knowledge or proof. And uh, I w was refusing to debate with him over my faith because I told him I would not bring uh, my God into the temple of reason and have him kneel in front of his idol of reason to receive uh, you know, a benediction. I'm not going to do that. And Okay, so wait, you better stop, you better yeah. stop there. <laughs> yeah, so this, and this was incidentally, this was really... Is this an atheist? That, yeah, he was agnostic. agnostic. And so and he was So he and, says prove to me God exists. Prove to me I knowledge only comes via reason and via this kind of proof. And I and he wanted to have the conversation with me and all my my uh DNA from my grandfather run down. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking like this guy is he a seeker? Is he not a seeker? Is like is he a scoffer? What is what is he? He's uh declining absolutely in this in this moment. He's a, he's a great guy. And he's, you know, he's a friend and a great guy. But at this moment in time in his life, he was um, just denying that anything, anything could be known mm -hmm. apart from, uh, you know, apart from reason and apart from like deductive thinking, deductive reasoning and, and so on. Um, so he took it, wanted to get back to the precept. Yeah. And so I didn't, but I, but I was also like, I don't want to show him how reasonable this is that my faith is reasonable, but I don't want to show him that because what he needs to come to grips with is the fact that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, not uh, deductive. Proofs. The right principle. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're told what the beginning of knowledge is. And we know that wisdom, you know, is not the same thing as a mathematical proof. When you can, we can look out at the world, we can see characters, we can see things playing out. And you can know, you can know what's happening. You're able to discern and you can discern with knowledge, like that you truly know what's happening. Uh, then uh, that's wisdom. You found wisdom and it's, it is knowledge. And it begins with faith and a strong relationship with God and seeing all these things is written by him, seeing the pattern of the creator, beginning to know the author and know his techniques getting the Proverbs like deeply into your bones, which is like all his uh, shorthand tips for like how things work yeah. in his narrative. Like when you start to be able to predict 
reality and predict the story, it's not because you're a genius. It's because you have started to get to know the one writing the story. Mm. And so like reading a novel by a, a favorite author that you've never read this novel before, but you've read 57 other novels by this guy and you start to see something happening, you know, like you can get to a place where you have some knowledge about what he's doing, like what's, what's happening here. So in this case, I was arguing with this guy and I was realizing that was a mistake. And so I just stopped. And uh, there was one moment where um, in, he's in my room. We were, we know we were housemates and he was arguing with my other housemate and they were having an argument about something stupid that didn't matter. And I said, flip a coin. And he said, no, I don't even want there to be a chance uh, of losing. <laughs> and I was trying to write an email to my future wife at this moment. Um, so I was like frantically trying to flirt via email with this girl <laughs> I wanted to marry. And, um, and your roommates just and my roommates, shut up. My two roommates, <laughs> and I had a wicker porch swing that I had screwed into my ceiling uh, of my bedroom in there. And my uh, Catholic roommate was, was in there swinging. <laughs> And the other guy was sitting on the floor and I was trying to write on my computer and they were talking about whether to go to the movies or rent a movie. And that was the fight. <laughs> like they're having a stupid fight. If you want to know what college was. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is grad school <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm frantically trying to uh, type. And I had a, I had an odd moment where I realized uh, he said he didn't want there to even be a chance of being wrong. And I suddenly had uh full and certain knowledge of a thing that was very, very weird, which was, I, I turned around, I stopped re trying to email my wife and just said, okay, flip the coin uh, five times and I'll call all of them right now. Like, that's it. Wait, whether, whether it'll be heads or tails. Yeah, I'm gonna do right now, it's gonna be four heads and the fifth one's tails. And you knew that. And I knew it. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, they're having a stupid fight and they kind of looked at me and like, what? Uh, like, it has to be that sequence. If one of them's wrong, I'm like, yep, no, it has to be four heads, fifth one's tails. And I said, you can flip it. I gave him a quarter. And I said, but here's the deal. When, it, when I'm right, and I am right, because I do know this, uh, you have to admit that knowledge is not by reason because there's no rational way <laughs> that I could know this. But you have to admit that it is knowledge. Once I'm right, and I made a huge deal about it and I banged a drum and did all these things and I acted really strange and weird about it. And, um, and as a magician all, does yeah, all, to, all to make a point. And then he flipped the coin. It was four heads and the fifth one was tails. And I turned around and kept writing my email. Um, and I added one after that, I added a threat. I was like, okay, so here's the deal now. Now I want to flip a coin for your soul. So let's do it. Let's do a nine coin sequence right now. I'll predict it. Um, when I'm right, you have to come to church with me this weekend and, and go back to church and be in church for the rest of your life. Um, and if I'm wrong about one, you can have my stereo. <laughs> so I wanted to bet my stereo against his soul. Um, Which he isn't even sure exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he chickened out. And I, chickened I, I, act, out. Yeah, I, acted, I acted super weird about it. And I was like, no, I'm 100%, I'm 100 on this, just so you know. Knowledge. Yeah, this is knowledge. This Your is not soul a guess. is mine if you flip yeah, these. Yeah, and, and, and I also told him, and you know, just like I know, you know God, and you know if you open this door a crack, you're done. <laughs> you're done. Because <laughs> God cheats, and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I really made a big deal of it. And then he, he, wouldn't, um, he wouldn't flip the coin. And so we, we reached a pact 
at that moment that we would argue, I would debate with him and argue until Christmas. And if he had not made any headway by Christmas, he had to uh, repent and believe. And like, this is the window in which I'll talk to you. Now, this is all very weird. This is one of the weirder stories that I have from my past. And it's funny that I remember it was foreheads in the fifth one's tales. And I remember it perfectly clearly because it arrived intact. Mm-hmm. Like it, it arrived as intact knowledge. Like this is a thing I knew. So you didn't just like pick a sequence and no, no, you no, didn't. I knew that I just, this is what it is. Um, and he acknowledged to his credit, he acknowledged that it was, that's knowledge. Okay. So I made him agree to that. I had a witness sitting there in my porch swing. <laughs> when this is correct, you have to admit that I knew it and that there was no uh, deductive reasonable way that I could know it. Now, the thing that's funny is there, there were deductive reasonable ways I could know it. It just, he couldn't think inside of, he couldn't think outside of the system of the material world. Because and, if God made it and controls yeah, every flip, yeah. then he would know what and it so is. And if, so like, if God is here and I know this by faith, then that's that's knowledge, and so that's basically it was two different worldviews colliding mm-hmm. uh, in that in that weird moment. Now that has influenced how I've taught rhetoric. That's influenced how I've. Uh, Real quick though, what does your other roommate think of this soul gamble? Oh, and the Catholic kid in the in the porch swing when he was chickening when the agnostic was chickening out over the radio. The radio. Uh, <laughs> the radio. Um, the ca- my Catholic roommate who was who was hilarious and was awesome. Um, he he just like do it man he's got a nice stereo like there's no he didn't for a second think that i was gonna be correct you know it's like we'd both been leaning on him on his agnosticism but he was like this is bs this is completely (laughs) so but it was a way this is not a thing that has happened to me often this was a very weird kindness of god in a very specific relational moment and it was just i i knew the thing um and how did I know it? It's like, how do you know anything? By gift. Anything we, anything we know, we know by faith. Any deductive syllogism is built on induction, which is faith. And so in deductive arguments, people love to have big universal principles and premises, which then lead to a conclusion. And they're super safe and it's super easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I love it. It's great. You know, I was always a big fan of logic. It's like there's deductive reasoning. Yeah. And you're like, this is very, this is very stable. This is very sound. And I feel confident because if all cows are mammals and this object is a cow, I can therefore conclude very easily that this object is a mammal. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, premise, premise, conclusion. The AAA one. Yeah. It's like boom, 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 like just marching through. But that's easy. What we have trouble with realizing is that that those statements, all cows are mammals, that's received by faith, and that's built on induction. And what I mean is by individual faith. None of us have ever gone individually and firsthand, like checked every cow, right? Like we have not gone and done this. We've not, we don't have any of this research ourselves firsthand. All of it is faith. All of it's received by faith. Mm-hmm. And the question is, faith in whom? Like, where is the faith placed in these different in these different things? So we can feel Christians especially can feel very safe in deductive syllogisms without realizing that those premises are built on induction and faith. And anybody who's a rationalist, they get away from that very, very quickly. We all trust our eyeballs. You know, Descartes tripped himself out about this. We trust our senses, those are a gift. Mm-hmm. Like, and we we trust them by faith. We trust our reason, our minds. Why? We trust them because we trust the God who gave reason to us, gave our minds to us. Um, 
you know, we're in a position of faith. Uh, so when we talk about communication and proof, how do you prove something? What is yeah. proof yeah. Um, to a creature, from one creature to another creature, from one goldfish in the bowl to another goldfish in the bowl, neither of whom can ever be God and neither of whom should ever try? Like, how do we prove something? Um, and I kind of settled in on uh, to prove a thing is to obligate belief. And proof is the obligation of belief. And okay, so, that's key because I think most people would say if you prove it, you get the other person to agree with you. Yeah, and so getting them to agree can just be manipulation. Okay, because you could right? use other things to get them to. Yeah, agree. they could be completely. Uh, they could be entirely within their rights and within reasonable behavior to disbelieve you. So, okay. but they do believe you. You got them and you bribed them or something. If mm -hmm. you if you pay somebody, yeah. Um, you know, to come with you, you didn't, pr didn't do a thing. You didn't prove to them that it's the best thing to do. You just bought them. Um, there's a lot of ways to manipulate and control people into different behaviors and positions. And art is a huge part of it. So art mm. has played a major role in manipulation of belief and, <laughs> and steering belief that way. So uh, it's a weapon and, you know, it's like, it's like uh, a gun or a knife or anything in the hands of a wicked man. It can be used wickedly in the hands of the righteous. It can be used for righteousness, but uh, manipulating somebody into accepting a position is not proving something that's just, gotcha. con that's convincing them. We can convince people all the time, but how do you prove? What is proving? What is proof? When you say, I have proved this to you, we all tend to veer into that rationalistic Euclidean stem. I showed him the premise. It connected with the it's second premise. It's a valid premise. syllogism. And yeah. these, you know, the, the conclusion followed from the premises mm -hmm. and I proved it. And it's true, true statements. Yeah. Yeah. And the issue is when you're arguing about novels or when you're arguing about the good life or you're arguing about about how people ought to live how do you prove as one creature to another how do you prove something or your roommate how do you yeah. know that knowledge yeah how do you yeah. prove it and i think the the best way to think of proof for creatures inside a story for characters inside a narrative is to obligate belief legitimately obligate belief okay. and that means the person, what i mean okay. by that is the person you've just talked to if they leave that conversation choosing not to believe if they choose not to believe there is a moral culpability there because they've been shown the truth they have been shown the truth and closed their eyes yep they've been shown the truth and they've been shown the truth clearly and in, a, in such a way that they're obligated to embrace it there's a moral obligation now um for, you know on the on the hearer and they can still as a free agent in this narrative they can still reject it they can yeah. still move yeah but because when, not so that that means you could be successfully proving something even if the person turns away from you yeah and laughs absolutely at you yeah and so they can scoff and they can reject they can spit it out they can they can numb themselves to it and run away but is there guilt there is there moral culpability have you demonstrated this in such a way that they have a burden now um the, list, I, uh, yeah, the listener okay. is burdened. The viewer is burdened. The reader is now burdened. They have a certain obligation to believe now because as a character, two things have happened. One is if they've been shown the truth and they've seen the truth, that's light. Like they've, they've been made in the image of God. The law of God's on their heart. They've been given the ability to reason and you've, and you've presented this thing to them. 
Um, okay, and so and that also allows some some uh, flexibility there with if you do a bad job displaying the truth. Yeah, like it like gives good analysis tools. Like I think often of the many people have taken the Ray Comfort style of evangelism. Yeah. You know, you know, I remember as a high school kid trying to witness to U of I students with like this, you hand them this sheet with a bunch of faces on it. And it's, yeah. you're like, what's, what's, this, what's true about all these people? And they're like, they're all dead. And you're like, yes. So where are you going to go when you die? You know, that sort of like yep. obligate belief where all of a sudden the person yep. isn't dealing with truth. They're feeling tricked. Obviously yeah. Ray does that in a great job. He's yeah, gifted. Yeah. He can, he, he can be talented with it, but it's, if you, uh, it helped me understand why that failed for me. Because yeah. I was doing it as like a high school kid, yeah. you know, <laughs> with like a gotcha trick. <laughs> and here's and here's a big thing. This is the big thing that matters the most, I think, right now in uh, more conservative Bible-believing circles. So if I was going to shoot that direction first and just say, like, let's, uh, let's go that direction. People who say just, yes, I believe the word of God. Yes, I'm, I'm submitting to the authority of scripture and, and so on. What they tend to do is say they have the font of all truth, goodness, and beauty, and then they present it in ugliness. Mm-hmm. And to, to come yeah. out with a syllogism, to come out with an argument, to come out with a presentation that is ugly, itself is ugly aesthetically, while maintaining that you hold the beautiful position, is itself a hypocrisy and a contradiction that enables the listener to reject you. They, mm-hmm. see, that, they see that contradiction in your in your behavior. They see that contradiction in, uh, yeah. in fruit. They've looked at the fruit of the tree and the fruit of the tree that you're offering them is sour and ugly. Right. You're handing them crab apples while maintaining that you have the bread of life. Yeah. And it's like to do that is to undermine the proof. And so- That's they, why we can tell people like the Westboro Baptists- Yeah, knock hey, it off. You're like, doing just, it you are actually in sin here. You're a hypocrite. Yeah. When you- this, is, this is ugliness. This is ugliness. This is disgusting. Yeah. And when you're showing up at a graveside, you know, somebody's being buried and you're going to show up at a graveside just to like trample on this moment, yeah. to be the ugliness in this moment. Um, like that, what are you doing? You're betraying the beauty of the gospel itself and, the, and, the, uh, and everything on your signs. And now what's, not assume that everything on their signs is correct, but let's pretend in that moment that everything on their protest signs was correct. Like mm-hmm. if everything was true, technically true, that doesn't mean that their behavior is. Their behavior is telling a lie. So that means your obligate belief, they haven't proved no. the truth. No, they have they, not. They've they, actually undermined it. Yeah. So they've That's they've good. showed up and they've undermined the truth. They've they've revealed a hypocrisy in their own position. And they have further incentivized people to reject and spit out what they presented. The opposite of, yeah, of offering something that you can only turn away with guilt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So people can turn away from that kind of assault without any guilt. They can turn away uh, mm. and spit it out and reject it because you came at them with ugliness. Yeah. You came at them with clumsy, inept art, mm. and said that you know. You are the servant, the image of the amazing artist who created everything. Like, and yet you give so yeah, little yeah, thought yeah. to your own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You give so little thought to your own artistry when God in heaven is like doing detail work on every single snowflake on the planet and on planets we haven't seen. Um, yeah. Like he's doing this level of de- detail work and yet you show up and suck. Like, <laughs> and you show, and you've nominated yourself as the representative of this God. 
Right. Like you're saying, I like my father in heaven, I'm coming to you with art. <laughs> and yeah. And yet it's this really, really clumsy propagandistic turd mm. that you're trying to put on big screens. Um, and then you argue because God is gracious and he can use any number of things. Some people converted because God still touched them because he's still gracious. You then say, see, see, it was great. Yeah. It was great. This is, this is, I'm justified in what I've done. And I think that that's absolutely not the case. And so people who are uh, more conservative in their faith and as I am, um, the people who share my view of scripture and things like that frequently are the most suspicious of what I do. They're the most suspicious of my novels. They're the most suspicious of film and all these things. And oh, they, for and, sure. Yeah. And they okay. want people to come out with a very ugly two by four furniture version of the gospel and just come out with that and present that to the unbelieving world. Uh, and the problem is that I, in my opinion, and I think this is biblically warranted, I think there's a, a self-defeating, uh, you know, there's a self-defeating hypocrisy there. If you live an ugly life, if your art is ugly, if your house is ugly, if your relationship with your wife is ugly, your relationship with your kids is ugly, mm -hmm. get that right. Like before you try start to convince there. someone, with, start there. Yeah. Image God successfully there and realize and this is why Rosaria Butterfield and other have been, others have been so successful. Realize that when you have done that, if that's what you're focusing on, when you invite people into your home, when you show them uh, hospitality and you, you bring them into that, you don't have to say very much. Like mm -hmm. they actually start asking, they start asking because you've given them the fruit and the fruit's phenomenal. The fruit's wonderful. Um, you know, they read Tolkien and they read Lewis and like the, those are, those works of art are, you know, those are examples of fruit on a very particular tree. Like that grows on a very particular tree. So does Shakespeare. Like all these different things that have come out of uh, Christian societies and Christian worlds when people are uh, really understanding the intricacy of what God's doing and the intricacy of the narrative of history mm. and all that kind of stuff. The fruit born by people who submit to that and imitate that to the best of their ability is rich. That is rich, great fruit. Okay. So here's an interesting thought. I often, when I'm speaking with students about a paper or with an author about a paper, They'll yeah. say, hey, I want to write a paper on that, you know, this topic that such and such is true. And they'll yeah. say, and my support is that the Bible says this is true. Right. And I'll often say, this is a bad paper. Like, right. it's, not, it's not that it's bad to, you just have not actually written anything that would convince or obligate anybody to believe anything. You've just quoted yeah. the now, Bible. Yeah, now if that's intramural, if they're, if they're target yeah. audience, we've talked about this in a previous podcast too, where it's like, the, it's all about who are you? Who are they? Yeah. Where ought they to be? And where? what can you do to move them? Mm -hmm. If you're one believer talking to another believer who acknowledges the authority of scripture. Then Bible verse. And great. then you say, yeah. hey, so let's talk about what Paul said in Galatians. Could, can be the lever that mm -hmm. they need to move. Now, if you are talking to a believer who has numbed themselves to scripture already, uh, you know, like they're already numbing themselves to that. And then you say, hey, here's a Bible verse. You need, to, you need to be astute enough to know that what they need to be obligated to move, uh, what they need to be motivated to move and obligated to move is going to be a little different than that. 
you have to raise your own artistic game. You have to be compelling. You have to be surprising. You have to be unexpected. I think you have we, to move uh, around defenses and, and touch. Yeah, to understand that their logical arguments not always the thing that's keeping them from belief, or often yep. isn't. Rarely ever, and logical arguments will never move anybody. They don't. So is lot okay. More about that is that is logic <laughs> what you construct afterwards to justify where you already are. <laughs> um, Logical, yeah, yes, yes, yes. But logical arguments are also like the kind of things that two friends do when they're playing racquetball together. They've created an artificial or pickleball now, now that yeah. that's all hip. They've created an artificial situation in which there are rules that they're going to play by. Mm-hmm. Most likely, neither of them are going to in any way change their lives after the fact. Um, because okay. people are narrative creatures, they're characters, and they move for narrative causes. Narratival causes are what move us through life. You mean in like tragedy, misery, happiness, goodness, yeah. beauty, those Daddy kinds of issues, things. mama yeah. issues, yeah. like a history of poverty. If your dad went bankrupt and lost everything when you were 10 mm-hmm. or 12 or you know some formative age, that's going to completely change your behavior when you're in your 30s and 40s. And it's going to be just instilled in you. It's going to be in your bones. Uh, hmm. in, in, in and sure you'll way. have a reason about why you behave yeah and you'll have and you'll say and when somebody say why do you do this with money you will say well the thing is here's a book by dave ramsey and mm-hmm. i have all my logic but the fact is the actual narratival cause of your behavior is actually back there now this is not to get all weird and you know suppress childhood memories and all that kind of stuff but the the fact is you're a creature you're a character in a story and characters do not move thanks to syllogisms. And so very intelligent academic believers try to ride out into the world with syllogisms to change the world. Mm. And they bang them off of people's foreheads like peanuts, you know, just (laughs) like, and it's like, and all you do is annoy people or more often just not get read. Yeah. Right. Because you're not saying that you can have a bad syllogism underneath all your argument. Like you can't have the, uh, you can't have falsity under what you're arguing. You're just saying that's not the primary sword. Yeah. When you're cutting to the root of a matter, you don't, yeah. it's not the logical a, argument. Uh, a woman once um, who was very, uh, uh, she, there was, it was complicated. I won't get into the whole story, but let's just say she was not on the team. She was not a friend. Um, had been friendly. I would, I would have called her a friend once, but it had been you know long years. And she had come to hate my father and all this kind of stuff. And she ran into my wife and uh, was, you know, basically shared that she had ranted at God of why did Doug Wilson get to have his kids turn out? Mm. That's sad. And just like, why? Because he's, she hated everything about him and he represented all that was evil in the world. But why does he get to have a happy family? Why does he get to have kids who are uh, happy and faithful? And, you know, and she was so, you know, she basically expressed that she uh, had taken this to God. Like why this is something she was upset at God about. And the, I mean, it's very simple. It's like, well, I mean, why do you, why do you think, what do you think the answer is? Like, mm-hmm. if you look at which plant, which soil bears what fruit, what does that tell you about a father? Like when his daughters behave like my sisters do, when they're that confident and talented and funny and yeah. quote unquote liberated, you know, it's like, they're very free to be themselves yeah. um, and very healthy and, and wholesome ways and like they're joyful and and thriving like that tells you something about a father yeah 
when you meet girls. And Paul tells us to look for it. Yep. Like and so in the narrative, and when you see it. the fruit, like if you meet some like highly secure, very well, well adjusted, uh, competent, capable, joyful women, it tells you something about where they came from. It tells you something about their narrative past. Um, about the nature of the tree they were on, the kind of bugaboo, caricature, nightmare scenario that people imagine my dad was uh, because he's this, you know, he's a patriarch. Yeah, he's this infamous, you know, Bible believing, fire breathing pastor. That bugaboo couldn't possibly bear this fruit. It doesn't work. Um, and if I tell him, like, you know, growing up, I never once in my life saw my dad lose his temper. And I can just say that, like, never yeah, yeah. like wow. my entire childhood praise god for sure yeah and yeah, i can say yeah. i'm a kid who fired his bb gun in his bedroom i'm a kid <laughs> who did all sorts of i have many wild Listen, stories people nate was his kid <laughs> and when, when brian cole's dad was my fifth grade teacher the stories i can tell about my fifth grade year and yet i never saw my dad lose his temper i got in trouble all the time but he never never showed me a loss of self-control ever like it, like unbroken streak so how does that fit with a caricature of that guy from people who disagree with his positions? People who disagree with his positions attack and project all sorts of uh, things on him. And yet I didn't, you know, I didn't see that ever. The thing I saw was consistent, faithful love and submission of himself to what God had commanded of all of us. Yeah. I saw that consistent life um, and that, that bears fruit. Um, so that kind of uh, that kind of thing obligates a certain amount of belief. I live under a burden of obligation that comes from my father and my grandfather and all sorts of other things. And then logic and reason are an additional witness. They're an addition additional yeah. testimony. The law of God on my heart is an additional witness. the The real key here, and we can we can leave it here and circle back if people have questions or talk about yeah. it more. But the real key here is to know that to obligate belief frequently means incarnation that the characters you're fa you're facing are they're creatures who are words made flesh in a narrative they've been created as narrative creatures living in a narrative situation and they are moved by narratival impulses um the thing and they also you know are made in the image of god you know that they have the law of god written on their hearts so there's a there's something there for you to access and the reason why stories are so powerful the reason why films can be really powerful uh, for good and ill, the reason why novels can be so powerful is because you can enflesh things. Mm -hmm. You can take things and make them flesh, not propaganda, but you, there are these little incarnations that can touch the whole man, that can touch the whole woman and motivate behavior and obligate belief when they've seen truth, goodness, and beauty consistently presented. And when truth, goodness, and beauty are consistently presented and presented in a way that accurately imitates uh the source of all truth goodness and beauty there's an obligation there and there's a compulsion there that, yeah that really sticks with all image bearers it really sticks with all of us mm, that's good we'll return yeah we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this firing any questions of other things i know i'm skimping this is the kind of thing i would cover it's a big topic it can get philosophical or theological and also aesthetic which is where we're taking it in terms of the importance of christians telling stories yeah. Why does it matter so much? And it's like, well, because yeah, we're that this is our native tongue. We are story. We live in a story. This is um, basically the best way to move narratival beings is with narratival communication.
So we'll we'll end there. We'll circle back. We'll talk more. This has been episode ninety. The long awaited. Much valued. <laughs> Hi, it's Brian Cole here, wanting to let you know how you can support the Stories Our Soul Food podcast. You can do that by checking out Canon Plus. Head over to mycanonplus.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the SASF podcast. We'll hopefully be seeing you at mycanonplus.com. Make you a uh...